you guys this morning. I hope for some of you, maybe not for all of you, that this is the highlight of your week. I do. I truly mean that. Not that you get to see me. Alright? It's already disappoints you. But I do. I hope that this is the highlight of your week, being able to come and be a part of, of what God's doing here at First Baptist. I'm telling you. I, I love, I had a conversation with someone this morning uh, about just just what God is doing here at First Baptist. Uh, even just this week, but over the span of, of the last several months, at just the things that, that we're seeing God do. And, and the momentum that, that we have here at First Baptist is, is really exciting. It's really exciting to be a part of it and, and to look forward to what God's going to do with, with the things that, that are happening here at First Baptist. Last night was, was one of those examples. i got to be honest with you, I wasn't entirely optimistic about last night just because of the Clemson game and, and just other things. But holy smokes, those of you that weren't here, I, I would venture to say somewhere around seven, 800 people, I guess. 950. Can you believe that? 950 people. That's insane. Now I went by some of the trunks, and I'm going to pick on Joe a little bit, because Joe always picks on me, and he told me this morning, he said, now if you see me do my hand like this, that usually means, Mac, hush, time to go home. (laughs) But today what that means is, Mac, I had way too much sugar yesterday, and I can't quit shaking. All right? That's what that means. But yesterday was it was a lot of fun, a lot of fun, uh, really incredible to see that many people uh, come on campus here at First Baptist. And then Tuesday night we had the, I think it was Tuesday night, we had the fish fry. And to see 40 plus men uh, here for that was, was really encouraging as well. So God's doing a lot of things here on, on campus here at First Baptist and just, just really exciting, really exciting. And we've got a reason to be excited. We've got a reason to tell people uh, what we are excited about. Uh, I love seeing our students back here, boys. Great job. Three of them did a great job. Listen, for, for girls to get up and sing, it's not that big of a deal, but for teenage boys, that's a big deal. That's a big, that's a big deal for men let alone teenage boys. So that, that's really exciting to see that. And so listen, there is a lot of things to be excited about. We're, we're not a perfect church, all right? We've got a ways to go. We've got a ways to go. And, and our children's ministry, it's, it's, we're getting there. We're getting there. We've got some things that need to be tweaked. We've got some things that need to be reworked, and, and we're getting there. Uh, those are some things that have to be done. Listen, last Sunday was special. I heard that a lot from a lot of you. Last Sunday was a special day. And I had a message prepared, and I told Sandra all week, I'm not, I'm, I'm not going to preach. I just, I knew it. And as soon as their picture popped up on screen and I saw everyone's reaction, I knew it. I knew it wasn't going to happen. And I, I was completely and perfectly fine with that. So we're going to do that today. We're going to begin a series of messages called The Gospel. And we're going to be looking at uh, a couple of different stories throughout the next couple of weeks that point us directly to the gospel, the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so before I do that, I wanted to share a story with you. 
I've had two different occurrences over the last couple of weeks, and, and I shared these with, with Sandra. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, this happened to me. I, I spend a lot of time on the road. I mean, when I say I spend a lot of time on the road, I, I spend a lot of time on the road, all right? I, I seriously spend a lot of time on the road. So I was, I was coming home one day on 123, uh, right there at Oconee Country Club, coming around the curve, coming home, right there at Sealed Air, where their truck entrance is. And so I come around the curve right there at Oconee Country Club, and there's a couple of cars ahead of me. And, and two cars ahead of me in the left lane is a, a Firebird. All right? And on the right, in the right lane, right beside this Firebird, is an old Oldsmobile. One of the small Oldsmobile cars, right? So I'm going down the road, and, and I'm looking ahead, and, and all of the sudden... This Oldsmobile starts getting over in the grass. And the Firebird is coming over into the right lane. And they are side by side, Oldsmobile in the grass, Firebird now from the left lane to the right lane, riding right beside each other. And the Oldsmobile never hits the brakes. I'm serious. It's like they synchronized this. Like they looked over at each other and nodded and said, let's do this. And they started getting over. And the Oldsmobile just gunned it. Got around the Firebird. And so when we get down to Square D, obviously I'd hit my brakes and slow down. But when we get down to Square D, I gun it to get past these two clowns because I had no idea what they were doing. And they're just driving like it's Sunday afternoon. In their minds, in their hearts, they've done nothing wrong. I mean, it was totally normal just to get over in the grass, gun it and get by them. No horn, no turn signal, no nothing, just, it's normal. So, Thursday, I'm going to Southern Wesleyan University, and, and I get off of 123 to get on Highway 93, right? So I get off the exit ramp, and I'm the first car at the red light, off the exit ramp. And I'm sitting there, and all of a sudden, this Cadillac comes right in front of my car, and turns right beside me. And it was an older lady. She was in her, I'd say, 80s or so. But she comes right in front of the nose of my car and turns right beside me. And it was like everything just slowed down, like slow motion. And I'm going, what is this crazy lady doing? And then I went, oh no, i got to stop her. She's going the wrong direction. Like, had she have gotten off of the exit ramp, she would have been going, what is that, east? No, west on 123 in Clemson. And so I jump out of my car, I run around the back of my car, a guy two trucks down from me jumps out of his truck, and we're screaming, yelling, waving our hands, get her stopped, and here comes a police officer. And he cuts his blue lights on, and he pulls in behind her, and he asks the lady, he said, hey... What are you doing? And I walk away. I get in my car and I go. I was holding up traffic. Didn't, didn't want to be around it. But in her mind, in her heart, she was going the right direction. She thought she was doing the right thing. There's a story in Scripture today in Luke chapter 21 that I want to share with you guys this morning. It has to deal with the heart. And the very core of the gospel 
deals with the heart. In essence, that is the gospel. That without a change of heart, there is no change. And so we're going to be talking about the church, and then we're going to be talking about us individually. And in order for change to be made, in order for change to happen, there has to be a change of heart. But see, so many people today are living a life, believing in their minds they're living the right way. But in fact, the reality of it is there's never been a change of heart. Let's pray together and we'll jump into Luke chapter 21. God, I pray this morning that Your Word and Your Word only would penetrate our hearts. God, I pray that You would come and You would walk among us, You would meet with us, You would speak to us. God, most of all, would You change us? Father, we're not perfect. We don't desire to be perfect. God, our only desire is to know and do Your will. Father, just like the song said, to know You and to make You known. God, may that be our will. May that be our desire. Father, fill us. Fill us with Your Spirit this morning as we spend time studying Your Word. We praise You. We thank You. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. So Luke chapter 21, this isn't a three-point sermon. Bang, 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 we're out, we're done. You go home, eat Sunday dinner. I want to walk through these four verses of Scripture with you and study these four verses of Scripture with you this morning. It's very interesting as I begin to pray and ask God uh, specifically about these messages, this series of, of the Gospel. God, where would you have me to go? And oddly enough, I was led to Luke chapter 21 first. How in the world do we get the Gospel out of Luke chapter 21? We're going to find out. Let's read this together in Luke chapter 21. Starting with verse 1, going through verse 4. As Jesus looked up, He saw the rich putting their gifts into the temple treasury. He also saw a poor widow put in two very small copper coins. Truly I tell you, He said, this poor widow has put in more than all the others. All these people gave their gifts out of their wealth, out of their surplus. But she, out of her poverty, put in all she had to live on. You may be seated. First of all, I want you to understand this morning, if you don't get anything else, 
I want you to get this, that the gospel is not a system, it's about a relationship. That's what the gospel is about. It's not just a system where you come down, you pray a prayer, you get baptized, you join a church, and that's it. It's about a relationship. It's about a daily, continual dying of self, desiring to live for Christ every single day. I said that earlier this morning. I hope that this isn't the only time that you spend with God. I hope that this isn't the only time that you open up your Bible and read His Word. I mentioned this to our youth a couple of weeks ago. What if that was the case? What if we only fed ourselves physically once a week? That'd be bad, wouldn't it? See, the same is true spiritually. It is not just a, it is not a system, but it's about a relationship. Something I tell our, our students a lot. When it comes to reading Scripture, and it is true with Luke chapter 21, is the fact that when you read it, you need to read before. Say we're reading Luke chapter 21. Okay, well you need to back up to Luke chapter 20, maybe Luke chapter 19, and get a background on what's going on. Because to me, in studying Luke chapter 21, verses 1 through 4, that gave me a better understanding of where Jesus is, what's going on in His life, and what He's talking about. Rather than just reading Luke chapter 21, 1 through 4, because to the common eye, when we read that, we go, okay, well, Jesus is telling us right here that their gift, the gifts of those that are wealthy, that are giving out of their wealth or their surplus, isn't worth anything. And that her gift, because she gave everything, is worth it all. We're going to talk about that. Because I think as we study the the previous chapters, and we study maybe the chapter after in Luke chapter 22, that gives us a better understanding, a more clear understanding of what Jesus is talking about in Luke chapter 21. We know also by studying Scripture after Luke chapter 21 that this is the Passion Week. That we're somewhere around Wednesday of the Passion Week. So what does that tell us? That this is the final week of our Lord's earthly life, earthly ministry. We know that reading prior to chapter 21 that on Monday He entered the city, right? On Tuesday He cleansed the temple And on Wednesday, if this is Wednesday that we're studying today, this morning together, you go back and you read in in the previous chapters, and Jesus spent the entire day teaching, the entire day preaching, the entire day healing people. He had spent an entire day doing ministry. And so the day is nearing end, and Jesus is going into the temple with His disciples surrounding Him because the disciples had traveled with Him. They were with Him. And so they walked into the temple together and Jesus is tired. Why is He tired? Because this entire time He has been pursued 
by the Pharisees and Sadducees. He has been pursued. And, and every time they question Him, they try to corner Him, Jesus gives them an answer and they don't like it, but it's the truth and they know it. And so in some way, shape, or form, they've got to fabricate a story. They've got to find some way to have Him brought before the Romans to have Him persecuted. And He's tired. You see, I love this picture here because it gives us an incredible picture of just who Jesus is. You see, we believe that Jesus is fully God, but in order to forgive us of our sins and for Him to die on the cross, He had to become what? Fully man. Right? And and He's showing us here that He is human. Go back when Jesus began his earthly ministry. I, I found it interesting that before Jesus began his earthly ministry and his, his teaching in, in Matthew chapter 5 and 6, Jesus was led out to the desert to be what? Tempted. You see, being fully God and fully man. As being fully God, he could have said, you know what, I don't need that. I'm good. I I can defeat that because I am fully God. But because of who he is and the reason in which he came to die for our sins, he had to be fully man. And he had to endure that. He had to defeat temptation. And so here in Luke chapter 21, his earthly ministry is coming to an end. And we see the the couple of verses before we get to chapter 21 that Jesus is warning. He is telling the disciples, I want to warn you, you need to beware of the false teachers. This is important. In verse 47, he says, or back up in verse 46, he says, beware of the teachers of the law. They like to walk around in flowing robes and love to be greeted with respect in the marketplaces and have the most important seats in the synagogues and the places of honor at banquets. Watch this in 47. They devour widows' houses and for a show make lengthy prayers. These men will be punished most Severely, So Jesus is in the synagogue. And he sees this widow give two small copper coins. I did a little research on pennies and found out that her gift, these two small copper coins, were about a fourth of what a penny is worth today. And that's all she had, and so that was all that she gave. Do you know it cost us here in America 1.6 cents to make a penny? So it actually cost us more to make it than it actually is worth. That makes a lot of sense, doesn't it? I'm no mathematician, but that's just ignorant. I also found out that last year, 2013... We wasted about 1.4 billion pennies. 
wasted. That means we threw them in the little jar at the register. When we dropped it at the register, we left it on the ground. Whatever. We wasted that many pennies. And yet she had a fourth of that, and that's all she had to live on. And that's what she gave. You know, some might look at this story and they they will go, well, you know, this is just, and I believe this, that as you read this story, in the midst of, of all of the evil and all of the darkness that is fixing to ensue, that Jesus is fixing to endure, there's hope. There's light in this darkness. You know, that's encouragement for you and I in, in this day and time, in this world today, that even in the midst of all the evil and chaos around us, there's hope in Jesus. There's hope in Jesus. Now, I read a couple of commentaries because I was curious why these four verses were nestled in all of, all of this going on during his last week of earthly ministry. Why this? And here were a couple that I found. The first one, Jesus is teaching that the measure of the gift is not how much you give, but how much you have after you give. But that's the measure of the gift. The measure is not the amount of the gift, but the amount left over. Talking about their surplus. They were just simply giving out of their surplus. A second opinion was this, that one is that the true measure is the self-denial involved. The cost to the individual, which is just another way of saying the, the first one that we talked about. But that the percentage given is really what the issue is. And then the third possibility was this. Is that the true measure of any gift is the attitude in which you give it. Is it selfless? Is it humble? Is it surrender? Is it expressing love for God? Or devotion to God? And then the last one was this. That some have suggested that the gift that truly pleases God is when you give everything and take a vow of poverty. Now I'm not going to side on any four of those. I don't disagree completely with any four of those. Though there are probably some that I agree with most than others. But those are just four as I look through commentaries that, that I found. So you can see that you look at four commentaries, you look at 25, you look at 100, guess what? You're going to get a hundred different opinions. And so this morning, not that anything that I have to say is of any value, but basically here's the way I see it, the way I viewed Luke chapter 21 verses 1 through 4. I think as Jesus walked into the temple and He was telling them to beware of the false teachers, I think He was disgusted I think he was hurt. I think he was let down. Why is that? 
Because the very person that gives the church its purpose to exist was in its presence. And yet, he went unnoticed. Think about that. Here's Jesus. And he's sitting there off to the side. His disciples are around him. He's been mocked. He's been criticized. He's been threatened. And all he's done all day is teach and heal. And he's exhausted. And the last thing he wanted to do was see people giving to a twisted, wicked synagogue. That had no theology. Had no backbone. That simply wanted to pad their own pocketbooks. And and the scripture says, live off of the widows and orphans. What a shame. You see, that's the importance of reading scripture before and after. Because you get a full understanding of what's going on. I think it's important to look at the first couple of letters, first couple of words in chapter 21 as it says, as Jesus looked up. What does that tell us right there? What does that tell us? If Jesus looked up, what was He doing? He was looking down. And some would suggest because He was looking down, the reason why He was looking down was because He was exhausted. Because He was tired. See, that's the fully human, fully man part of who He is. But He was exhausted, so He goes and He sits in the synagogue and He has His head down. One, He was exhausted, but two, I believe that He was. He was, he was disgusted at what He was about to see. In the way that the Pharisees and Sadducees were just twisting everything and corrupting everything. And then it goes on in chapter 21. He says he saw the rich putting their gifts into the temple treasury. He also saw a poor widow put in two very small copper coins. Could you imagine if you put yourself in his shoes? Or you were there as one of his disciples and you were watching this take place. You see the way that they gave their gifts or the way that they tithed as we do today is much different than the way that we tithe today. The setup and the layout was very different. You see, it says, James says in verse uh, uh, verse 27 in chapter 1, he says, The pure and undefiled religion in the sight of our God is to visit orphans and widows in their distress. True religion does not abuse the poor. It ministers generously and graciously to their needs. But you see, they had taken this, they had taken their gifts, and and they had prayed on the orphans and widows. We know that based on chapter 20. And and when the, the Pharisees and Sadducees, when the teachers of the law, when they would come in to the temple, when they would come into the synagogues to give their gifts, it says that they would come in with loud trumpets. Like they would make a huge scene about it all. And they had horns in which they put their gifts in. 
They had horns. And, and they were about 13, anywhere from 10 to 13 horns lined up in a straight line. And get this, they were all labeled. You know what that is today? That's called a restricted fund. That's what that's called. Because they could give to any restricted fund that they wanted to. And so out of their surplus, they would put it into, and listen, I, I wrote these down, old shekel dues, new shekel dues, however you want to look at that, bird offerings, they, didn't, they even had an offering for wood and incense, gold, and then free will. We're just a few of the labels on some of these offering horns. But you basically, you paraded yourself in. You made this grand entrance because you were rich. Because you had money, you made this grand entrance. And everybody knew that when you walked in that you were coming because they played loud music and made a scene. And when you arrived, the first thing that you did is you walked up to one of those horns and you put your gift in and made sure everyone saw your gift. That's a little bit different than the way Jesus taught in Matthew chapter 6. As Jesus taught in Matthew chapter 6 that we're to give our gifts in secret. Not that we're to hide it, but you remember the, the Pharisees and Sadducees, when they went to pray, they would pray on the street corners so everyone would see them. And when they would give, they would give so everyone would see them. See, Jesus taught a completely different route. And that was that when we pray, we don't make a scene. And that when we give, we don't make a scene. That we give our gift in secret, that we don't publicize it, that we don't make a big spectacle, a big showing of it. But do you see what was going on here? That, that even in the three years of His earthly ministry, it was still happening. And why is that? Because there was an issue with the heart. You know, I, I thought of this and, and I thought long and hard about this and I'm just, I'm going to say it because it still exists today. You know what their mindset was? The rich, the ones that gave of their surplus, they, you know what they said? And even the church today, some believe this, that we're going to give our money and we're going to let someone else do the work. That's what was going on. You see, because their sole purpose was to minister to and care for the widows and orphans. That's what James chapter 1 verse 27 says. And yet they were doing the exact opposite. And you see, some of us today have that same belief. We have that same makeup that we can just give and we're going to let someone else do the work. You know, if I, I brought, and I wouldn't do this, but if I brought our children's ministry team up here and asked them, what was the greatest need that you noticed you had from last night's event? You know what they would say? Volunteers. If I brought 
Mr. Leary and Miss Wanda up and said, what is your greatest need on Wednesday nights? You know what they would say? Volunteers. If I brought Daryl up for Sunday morning for Sunday school and asked Daryl, Daryl, what's your greatest need? You know what he'd say? Volunteers. You see, we, we've got to break this mold, this mindset in 2014 that we can just give our money and expect somebody else to do the work. I don't... I take that back. I was going to say, I don't know when that started. Yeah, I do. started here. Because they practiced the same thing. And so we've got to get that fixed. We've got to get that fixed. Y'all have heard it a thousand times that 20% of the people do 80% of the work. That can't be true at First Baptist. It won't be true at First Baptist. Or the church is going to die. You know why? Because people are going to start leaving because they're being overworked. You're beating a dead horse. And so they thought, you know what, we're just going to give. We're going to give and we're going to let somebody else worry about the real issues. The real issues concerning God's people. <clears throat> Jesus makes a, a great observation. I, I love the way He communicates and the way it's written in these Gospels, because it's very in your face. And sometimes Jesus, when He speaks, there's no response needed. There's no response required. This is one of those times when Jesus looks up and He says, I tell you the truth. These, these people, these, the rich, they're giving out of their surplus. But I want you to look at that woman. I want you to look at that widow. She's putting in two very small copper coins. And that's all she had to live on. Why did she do it? That, that, that's, that's the thing that, that kept coming to my mind is, why did she do it? Because the Bible tells us that's all she had to live on. it. I don't know everyone in here, but I think it's pretty safe to say that there's no one in here that only has two pennies to live on right now. But you see, what was going on was what she was being taught. And what she was being taught that it did not matter what status you were at. You were required to give. And if you were rich, well guess what? You just kept getting richer and you would give out of your surplus. But if you were poor, you had to give everything. How twisted is that? That the poor was required to give everything, but the rich, they just kept on getting richer. And giving out of their surplus. You see, they had corrupted everything that the Lord had been teaching. Completely corrupted it. Everything that He intended to be pure, everything that He intended to be true to the church, they were trying 
corrupt. And they took it so far as to take two pennies, two coins, all she had out of the pocket of a widow. But what they were teaching her, what she had been raised to believe, what she had been influenced to believe, that if I give these two pennies and that's all I have left to live on, all I've got to do is give these two pennies and I can buy salvation, I can buy favor, I can buy God's blessing. Because He's going to see that I'm broke and He knows that I'm broke and all I have left is two pennies. And if I give those two pennies, guess what? He's going to bless me with four. How do you figure He's going to do that? You, you see what I'm saying? You see, it's no different than me saying, alright, we're going to stop service right here and we're all, one by one, going to walk out into the middle of Highway 24. And when an oncoming car comes, we're going to say, God's going to save me from being hit by this car. No, He's not. Not if you're going to stand in front of it. See? We, we have this, this prosperity gospel movement going on right now today that these televangelists come on TV and they say, hey, you send me your $15, I'm going to send you this cloth and God's going to bless you. This was the same stuff going on here. You give me everything that you have, everything that you're worth, and God's going to bless you. And you know what was happening? They were taking her money and they were running with it. There's no blessing in that. It was wrong. It was wrong. But you see, that's what people today, that's what some people today believe. Now is Jesus saying here that it's wrong to be rich or it's wrong to be poor? No, He's not saying either one of those. What He's saying is the heart is the issue on both sides. On both sides with the Pharisees and the Sadducees that the teachers of the law were wrong. Their heart was wrong. But so was the widows. So was the widows. My goodness, that a widow would believe and think that she has to give everything that she has. The last two coins in her bank to get God's blessing. Can't be. But that's what was happening. If you look as we kind of wrap up today's message, I believe as you, you look at verse 4, it says that in verse 4, all these people gave their gifts out of their wealth, but she out of her poverty put in all she had to live on. You know, I, I admire this lady. I admire her. But I'm mad that she was misled in such a way. That the teachers of the law would lead her in such a way to believe that 
You've got to be absolutely broke. No money in the bank to have God's favor. To gain God's blessing. How in the world does that relate to you and I today? It's so funny going day in and day out and without anybody even saying anything, sometimes you can sense it, that some people's faith is determined and based off of their bank account. Ever notice that? Sometimes people are stronger in their faith when their bank account's up. And when it's not, it's down. Listen, today I want you to understand something. I wrote three things down that I want you to understand. Your gift, no matter the amount, your gift is important to the kingdom. Alright? Your gift is important to the kingdom. And the way in which you give your gift means way more than the gift itself. You understand? It's the gift that matters. It's the gift that counts. And the strength of our faith cannot be determined by our gift. The strength of our faith can't be determined by our gift. You see, that's what was happening. The, these, the rich were giving out of their surplus and they thought that they were extremely blessed because of that. And yet because she was poor, her gift meant absolutely nothing. But yet Jesus blows everyone's mind when He looks up and He says, listen, her gift was greater than everyone else's gift. I told you I admire her heart. I just hate the way she was being misled. See, I think she had the heart part right. Somewhat. You see, when it comes to the gospel of Jesus Christ, it begins with a heart. It begins with a heart. To have... Ultimate change in your life to truly understand the gospel message that Jesus came. He lived a perfect life as man. He lived a perfect life. He was tempted. He was tried. He was persecuted. And eventually gave His life on the cross for our sins. To fully understand that, it doesn't need to just sink in here. It needs to sink in here. And you and I have to come to grips with the understanding that we are sinners. And that there's no getting away or around that. That we've all sinned. That we're born with that sin nature. And that we do live just like this widow we live in a corrupt world where the world and society 
And everyone around us is going to tell us something completely different than what we are being taught by God's Word. But Jesus says, oh, wait a minute. It actually goes like this. And that yet, even when you were sinners, He came and He died on the cross for our sins so that we could have eternal life. So that we could understand how to live Not just how to get by, but how to thrive in the world today. That He would give us the discernment. That He would give us the ability to be able to tell when something like this is going on. And how to deal with it. You see, I almost think, though the question was never raised... I almost want to think or wonder that Jesus was, was, was hoping, was wanting one of His disciples to do what He had done. When He went in and He flipped the tables over. Maybe, just maybe, He was wanting a disciple to stand up and say, Guys, wait a minute. You've got it all wrong. Listen, we're not a perfect church and we've got a long way to go. But understand this, if we don't get the gospel right first, nothing else matters. Do you understand that? Nothing else matters. We've got to get the gospel right first. And we've got to make sure people understand Number one, who they are. Number two, who Jesus is. Number three, what Jesus came to do. That's vital. Because if we don't get that right, we're going to have people walking around with a twisted theology for the rest of their lives. They've got to understand. First of all, who they are. And that begins right here. And from there, we'll be able to show them and tell them who Jesus is and what Jesus came to do. Listen. The core of the gospel begins right here. Begins right here. Nowhere else, but right here. Let's pray together. God, we thank you so much for today. Thank you for your word. Thank you for the opportunity, God, that we get to study your word. And I pray again that this isn't the only time that we study your word, but God, that you would give us a desire that, God, we would crave uh, the, the passion to dive in, to jump in, to study your word every single day, God. May we not get enough of it. And God, I pray most of all this morning, right here, right now, in this time, whether they come forward, God, and I pray they do. But God, that they, that we, that all of us, God, would make sure, know and understand who we are. 
And God, I believe that that will help us to understand and give us a better understanding of who you are. And the purpose in which you came. God, I pray that if there is a lost soul here this morning. God, that you would make it as so they would not be able to walk out of here this morning. Without getting the relationship with you right. And God, there might be somebody here this morning that has thought for years they've had it right. But God, they've realized this morning that they haven't had it right. God, I pray your will. I pray that you would break chains. God, I pray that you'd break us from our sin nature. God, when someone asks what you're doing in our life or what you're doing in the life of this church, may our only response be, it's a God thing. I can't explain it. God, may this time this morning be unexplainable. pray this in Christ's name. Amen.